Welcome to episode 8 of Cyberbytes the Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Cooper, co-founder of Aspiron Search. This is a special episode. We've got three IoT security researchers who are going to talk about their cybersecurity findings. Let's dive straight into it. Chaps, I know there's a couple of us on, so I'm not going to ask how you all are, but we're going to dive straight into it and find out a little bit about you all. Uh, Charles, I'm going to pick on you first. If you can just give a quick insight into uh, who you are, where you're from, and your background, and we'll go around the group. Sure, sure. Uh, started uh, started in cyber started in cybersecurity well over a decade ago. I'm um, going on 13, 14 years now, and I've worked in various fields over the years: uh, auto, uh, human resources, um, yeah, mostly auto. Um, you know, a few other medical, few other places. And my roles varied from somewhat of an analyst to engineer uh, on up to architect. And I've worked on different systems. And uh, I, uh, through the years, I found a big issue has been just educating people on why security is important. You know, that still exactly hasn't sunk in to the extent that it should have by now. So it's an ongoing issue. Mm-hmm. And give, uh, I'm published a lot, uh, give presentations through the Midwest, um, attend DEF CON every year for the last, I don't know, how many every years. So awesome. Yep. Nice. Paul, should we pick on you next? Um, I mean, pretty much everybody knows me that's uh, that's probably listening, uh, but uh, started my journey 22 years ago, uh, enlisted in the Navy as an IT, um, continued to progress through the ranks, got some qualifications, got some certifications, my curiosities began to build. So uh, I followed a linear path in the beginning, you know, going from computer repair all the way up to uh, IT director type. Um, got the luxury of of standing up a brand new cyber protection team, first of its kind, and that was really uh, in 2014 my my introduction to real cybersecurity. And since then, retired, uh, did a, a stint as a cybersecurity research engineer. Um, now I'm doing more purple team. Uh, that's really the domain that I want to sit in. But I really don't have a specific area of interest outside of purple team um, just because i think you know we, we hear that terminology go around a lot lately um, you know there's different mixed versions of what purple teaming really is and you know my personal opinion is that is the tabletop that is the reverse emulation with the client to show them hey you know we came in for your blue team assessment showed you have xyz vulnerabilities or patches that are outdated. And then, you know, a month later we came in with a red team and we annihilated you, right? Let's walk through why these patches are crucial. Let's walk through why you shouldn't have this system systems uh, device or connected device, smart device on your network. Um, and that kind of leads into today's topic with the, yeah. with the IoT. I uh, just got started a new role. Uh, I'm doing a lot of cyber threat intelligence. So, you know, continuing the threat research, um, thinking as evil as I can possibly be. <laughs> um, you know, thinking what an adversary would do to somebody. Love that. And Alex, 
Hey, uh, so yeah, I started messing around with computers in my parents' basement back in the mid eighties. Uh, did some time in the military, uh, intelligence, communications, switched over to law enforcement because I was a computer guy, I got stuck into the cybersecurity role for a small office. Um, you know, iso ism, sysad type work. Retired from the army, went out and did uh, government and commercial side cybersecurity. I mean, the ISO, ISM, ISI, uh, architect, uh, reverse engineer. Pretty much you you name it on anything like that. GRC uh, into the the you know research and engineering tech fields, and I've done it. And, you know, as Paul was saying, you know, doing uh, threat research, you know, threat intel, doing hunting, all that type of stuff, you know, we, we really just look to be as evil as we can. <laughs> this device, what can I do with it? How can I use this to do something else? How can I use it to hide what I'm doing? If it's a, a medical device, an IoT device, if it's part of a vehicle is there a way i can use it to harm or maim someone or kill someone what's the worst thing i could do and how easy is it to do it and then you know we go from there how can we help protect it and get that information out to the manufacturers so nice nice well let's go straight into it so you guys all work together at stevenson technologies corporation um so charles did did you all have the same roles or was you all different types of uh, researchers how did that work yeah we we uh we ran the team um it as i i i ran it as so it'd be rather flat so it wasn't uh everybody reporting up it was more of a cohort and then uh, you know i would i would be the one that would you know, create the reports at the end contact the manufacturers for responsible disclosure so nobody got in trouble um uh scrub my report my report our report so that uh, when we so that one would be the one we would send to the manufacturer and then and we had one internally also but it's uh, uh we I wanted to make sure that each of us had the opportunity to work on whichever aspect we wanted to with it, with what was in our skill set, but also have the opportunity to step out of our comfort zone and learn more. You know, too many times we get pigeonholed into a certain role, into a certain function, and I did not want that for, for uh, our team. You know, it's, and that's, you know, Alex mentioned, uh, you know, uh, being evil. I like to frame it more as whenever we saw a vulnerability or potential vulnerability, we treated it as uh, the string on the sweater. And so we'd see it and we'd start pulling at it and see, did it go this way? Did it go that way? What else can I do with it? Just, and when, for all the devices we tested, as far as we could, we we accomplished that, and we would uh, research and test each up to a point where we were just at a, a at a block wall, and we couldn't go any further with that aspect of the test. And then we'd pivot to another piece of it. So we 
I guess in title, uh, I was a project lead, but I didn't want to treat us like that. Yeah, got it. And about, I guess that's a short answer. Yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure. So how do you decide what devices or what IoT you're going to look at? Well, we wanted to look at devices that were accessible to everybody. So if you went to uh, uh, your local, uh, here in Michigan, we have Meyer. So if you went to Meyer or you went to Walmart or wherever, it's something that, that a consumer for some of the devices could just walk up and buy one and then, you know, install in their house or do whatever. We also looked at devices that were critical to uh, people's health because with those, those should have a higher level of security built in, should, but it, too often, as we found, they didn't. And so those are some points that have to be brought out to make them more secure so that people don't have um, the worry that, let's say, their insulin pump is going to malfunction or someone um, you know, parked in front of their house is going to be able to uh, contact it and then kill them or hurt them. Same thing with um, some of the other devices. We that's that was one of the other ways that we chose what to what to test. So we weren't given we weren't given a list per se of items to test. So that's kind of how we how we went through it. Okay, cool, cool. Paul, I'm gonna gonna ask you next. So let's pick one of the devices that you've decided you want to want to check out and do some research on. Uh, what example would you would do you think of straight away that you can think this is going to be an interesting one? And what did you do to start off? How, where do you even start? Do you just play around with it? Do you pick it up? Do you start sort of, like you say, pulling at it? Go ahead, Paul. Let it go. Yeah. The major device that we noticed or that that, that was selected that that really really started paving the way for us to, to start looking at other things was a baby monitor. Um, you know, this baby monitor, it was marketed to be in the U.S., it was marketed to be patented in the U.S. Um, and what, in reality, you know, what, what we did first is obviously we took, you know, took it apart. Right. Let's look at the internals. What's on the, the process control board? What's on the microchips? Um, and surprisingly, you know, doing that, we found a lot of the IoT devices that we were working on had Huawei technology in it that was exited from the U.S., you know, what, 2014? Um, but when you think about it, if I'm a bad person and I know that Huawei tech is made by bad people mm -hmm. and I can't sell this product, this phone anymore to the, to the U.S., I'm going to repurpose the stuff that's in it. So after we found some of that is when we really started going um, – uh, so Alex and I, you know, we, we both got copious amounts of counterinsurgency, counterintel training, um, you know, the things like the adversary. So we, we went that, that route. We went the, the, the true, true crimes route of investigations. Uh, we found out that this said device, uh, was the company itself was built at a fly by night rent a desk. 
Uh, you know, so somebody rented a, a, an office space for an hour and boom, this company blew up. Um, you know, tracked a patent to where the patent wasn't made in the US. It was actually in Shenzhen, China. Uh, so we started researching the people that were on the patent and we found out that more people got removed, more people got added on. There may or may not have been people from Communist China Party regime uh, that were associated with the patent. Um, and this went from there. So once we start identifying, you know, hey, these people are, are kind of suspect, uh, that's when we, we started doing more of a static code analysis. Uh, you know, no secret, I'm not a programmer, but I don't let that hurt me because I can look at a code and I can see what is different, right? Uh, just don't ask me to write code. I can look at it all day. So you don't need uh, to be a, a coder. Then. You don't need to be a programmer to do this. Okay, cool. You don't it, having coding knowledge definitely does help. Uh, like you know, taking some of the strings of code and throwing it in something like an IDE. An IDE is where you you um, you write your code for like maybe Java, PHP, or something like that, and you write it to where you can actually execute different portions of the code. So having a little bit of knowledge does help go a little bit further, especially when there's a, when you find a lot of the padding that's involved with a lot of the, the string coding. Um, but through that static analysis, we found out, you know, other anomalies, right? So because this was being sold in the US, it said that you had to be at least 18 years or older. Stripping the code down is when we really started to find uh, huge differences like in the code itself you only had to be 13 in order you you know to register this device so that was a an anomaly so and then through you know disclosure when we're reaching out to this company the person that was you know the tech support that we reached out to magically kept progressing in the levels of management all the way to the point where oh no i am this product owner for the US. But you were just three emails ago tech support. Right. Right. So um it, it was it was definitely wild. Um the IP, the static IP as well, you know, again thinking, think creative and going past all these devices that we test all had pen tests done against them. Right. Because a third party assessment has to be done in order for a device to make it to production. But pen test, more than we, you know, like to say, is, is really automated. You know, you, you push a button, you fire some attacks at it, uh, you look at a CVE, you know, com computer vulnerability event, and you, you figure out if it's exploitable still. Um, but we went further, right? Because the OSINT piece was not being done on these. And that's that's where we really started our niche, right? And being that that true crimes type investigation, where you know we started putting these uh, hard coded IP addresses and stuff like Spiderfoot. And next thing you know, you're seeing that there's like 54 known horrific IP addresses associated with this device. And ding ding ding, these IP addresses are associated with. Communist China Party, you know, and it's like, what the heck, man? Yeah, it's super, um, super scary. Super, yeah, that's, super. That's one of the. Analog, main 
because oh. you know, this thing was being sold uh, on bases next to bases. Um, we found through it didn't say it on the app itself, but through the the, the a static analysis, we found that they had the ability to do voice recognition capture on you. It had the ability to do a 4K picture of you. Uh, it had the ability for home base, again, motherland China, to turn it on and do whatever they wanted to do with it. Uh, you know, the only thing that was ever exposed on it through uh, through third-party pen test was the AWS bucket was wide open. And it still was. But we also found that there were foreign people that had U.S. email access to AWS. So there's that whole privacy concern, right? Um, but yeah, that, that was a primary device that, that I found personally. Um, yeah, I wish one of these days we're going to sanitize a version of it to where we can relinquish it to uh, the LinkedIn community to showcase it without obviously, you know, yeah, yeah, for sure. Gel for, <laughs> you know, hey, you know, that was a project you're not supposed to talk about, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, Alex, I'm keen to bring you in on this. Um, and one of the main reasons I wanted to, to have you on as well, Alex, was particularly your background being a Leo. And you mentioned this whole true crime investigation type um, to the research that you was doing. Can you talk to me about how that helped and the mindset that you might have had to be able to make this a success for you? Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, Paul Paul touched on it, think like a criminal. <clears throat> so we kind of discussed that a little bit along the way. But honestly, once we started looking at, at the OSINT piece and, and tracking down, you know, looking at um, patents and things and realizing that there's a lot of misdirection. <clears throat> Things just aren't true. You know, you might say that they designed it in the U.S., but it was designed and the patent was held in a foreign country. You know, it, it honestly reminded me a lot of uh, fraud cases that I've investigated. So you, you pick a thread. I mean, in, in fraud, you often follow the money. And so, you know, we, we followed either a person or a theoretical money trail, if you will, just to kind of pull that thread as, as uh, Charles was talking about. So, you know, the, the patent, it's held in a foreign country. Okay, who's that person? Let's get a patent number. Is there anything else we can find in a foreign country, uh, you know, related to that patent? Where's this place located? And you just start spider webbing out. Can I get any more information about this individual who holds the patent? What about the company? You know, can I go back through a web crawler you know, is that a, a shell company from a couple years ago and now it's no longer there, but is there a, a history of it? You know, what all can we find and how can we keep going? Basically just ask the next question. What's the next logical step? I found out this device does X. Well, can it do Y? What about Z? And just, you know, we just kept going. So try and think of what a criminal might do with it, but also, you know, if a criminal was setting this organization up, you know, to, to sell this device and, and steal information from people, steal money from people, conduct international or industrial. What's the logical steps they would take to make that happen? Got it. Nice. 
super scary and the fact that you mentioned the baby monitor it's just frightened the life out of me i know just before we jumped on this charles you mentioned the light bulb so that that's <laughs> intrigued yeah. me um well one thing too uh uh paul mentioned this the static code analysis when alex was going through it and he can elaborate more on this uh you know you're looking at the code and you don't want to look at ten thousand lines and so if you put in certain uh, um, searches for phrases or variables, you know, that, that it highlights those in the code. So it saves a lot of time. With one of the ones uh, that we looked at, uh, he found uh, instead of Wi-Fi as a variable, they spelled it out, W-E-Y-E-F-E-Y-E, -E -E, try to obfuscate the, uh, uh, the functionality of the variable. I'm like, yeah, that's tricky. That's tricky. That's that's nice. But that's I mean, we found a lot, a lot more than that. But that's uh, one that comes to mind that Alex found. What sort of uh, what sort of tools can people use to do this sort of stuff? Or is there any that are free? Or is it are they quite expensive? Can people? Is there any open source ones? Well, for the code analysis, we used uh, Jadex and, and Ghidra, which are both open source tools that allow you to expand out the, the APK files and go crawling through and seeing what's there. We use Kali, Wireshark. It, about the only thing that wasn't really open source was uh, like JTagulator and some of those others that allow you to go down to the chip level and extract firmware. Yeah. Nice. That's, that's where it really starts getting more, more of the complicated realm, right? And I, I would, I would evoke curiosity in people, you know, especially if you have some disposable income. Um, I found a company called Attify, A-T-T-I-F-Y. Um, they're one of the ones that have actually showcased IoT exploitation courses through DEF CON, Black Hat, several other things. And for $1,500, you get course material and every single hardware device that Alex was mentioning. Because right? some of these things, you know, they, they do start. Hardware and firmware hacking is an expensive hobby. Um, you know, when you talk about a G-Tagulator, you're looking at close to $400 price tag. Uh, when you're talking about something, when we're doing the med tech devices, you know, like an insulin pump and stuff like that, you need, you know, like an oscillator and those can range anywhere between 300 to a thousand dollars just for a low end, right? Because you're talking about technology that is so low on the frequency spectrum that an RF1 might not satisfy your needs. Um, then obviously, you know, Oz and N, USB dongles, you know, so if you're like you're running Cali or, or Wireshark or something like that, it's enough traffic, you know, you not you might not want to use your internal Bluetooth for that. Yeah. For yeah. Various reasons. <laughs> wow. There's lot, lots of different tools in gold there. To wrap this up, <clears throat> chaps, Charles, keen to, to find out what advice you would give. I know you've done the whole academic PhD route to, to where you are now. What, what advice would you give to, to folks that are interested in this space and getting into it? I'd say read, read more, um, go to conferences. You know, there are a lot of regional conferences also. Like uh, in Michigan, we have um, 
uh, Gurkhan, that's on the west side. On the east side, we have Merit, uh, MMC, Merit Members. Uh, I forgot what the C stands for. But they're, I mean, they're relatively low cost and they're, you know, for the price of the ticket, like I think Gurkhan's 150 maybe, you get two to three days full of, uh, of of the experience of learning you get to talk to people who are actually doing the testing so it's it, uh, that's i think those are two two big things yeah. just uh and then as as people get more involved in the industry and more of the work try to try to train your brain to always think to the next step instead of just uh checking for instance, instead of just checking the box, look at what else could be done. Think about, well, uh, if I'm able to uh, uh, access this, well, what else What else could I access? What could I pivot off of with that on the board, in the app? Just building on more of the, of the uh, curiosity aspect. Yeah, that curiosity, absolutely. Alex, anything from you on the advice piece? Uh, you know, don't... Don't sell yourself short. Um, you know, I pulled a lot from law enforcement and the intel side to kind of build up how we were going about the uh, OSINT investigation. So, you know, use your background. If you know something about a field, that's a great place to start researching because you already have some inside information. So, you know, just don't don't think because you're not a programmer or you're not a hacker, you haven't been doing this since you were five, that you're just not going to make it. Amen to that. And Paul, from you to wrap this one up. Um, I'm a very big pro advocate of, you know, exhaust your free resources first, uh, especially if you're, if you've never done tech and you're trying to break into cybersecurity or IT, use your free resources before you go spend money on a boot camp or an academy, because you might find out that after spending, you know, anywhere between five thousand to twelve thousand dollars on something that that really wasn't the career field you were looking for, right? So, exhausting your free resources is going to get you out of the mindset of the blanket term "I want to get into cyber." It's now I want to do SOC analyst. Now I want to do pen test. Now I want to do GRC. Uh, and to Alex's point too, you know, it's get hands-on as much as you can right so when you're networking don't just network to to build a fan base and get free resources or handouts do the work like if you get a mentor that says hey go build a home lab and do this go build a home lab right because if you look at a job description a job description is broken down into knowledge skills and abilities Yes, the certification is going to give you that knowledge. But if that's the only thing you did is studied for a cert, where did you get your skills and abilities at? That's where you showcase in the home lab. That's where you showcase your project or a write-up that you've done or a YouTube video that you've done, giving a tutorial on something. Um, because that is really the, the key piece in cyber is having the ability and the technical skills to do something. Thank you very much, Chaps. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on and uh, we'll catch up with you soon.